3: banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Democrats and Republicans are at a standstill over what the impeachment trial of President Trump will look like. But one thing is certain, the chief justice will preside over it. In his year-end report, Chief Justice John Roberts did not refer to the impeachment trial, of course, but there was plenty in his remarks to allow commentators to see subtext about the president as Roberts urged his fellow judges to promote public confidence in the judiciary. Joining me is constitutional law expert Michael Dorff, a professor at Cornell Law School. So many people are looking at the subtext in the Chief Justice's year-end report, but let's start with the actual text itself and his focus on the need for civic education.
2: Civic education is uh, one of those things like apple pie that everybody is for, I suppose. The idea here is that many Americans are unfamiliar with how our basic institutions, especially the courts, function. And the chief justice is certainly right about that. I'm not sure that this is a new problem or that it's a, a newly intense problem. But you know, if you look at survey data going back decades that asks people about Things like, you know, can you name one or more justices of the Supreme Court? How many branches of government? Who are your senators? They reveal very uh, high levels of ignorance. And so it is often said that this reflects a change from some past moment, presumably when civics was part of the mandatory education curriculum. But in any event, whether or not It reflects a change. I agree with the Chief Justice that it is important in a democracy for the people who are making the decisions about whom to elect to know a little bit about how our institutions work. So I I basically agree with him. As I said, it's very hard to disagree with the proposition that there ought to be an informed citizenry about how our institutions of government function. The report goes on to praise various efforts by members of the federal judiciary, including the Supreme Court, but focusing mostly on the lower federal courts in creating programs, in using new media, in volunteering their time. And I would say that what stands out to me is the Conscious effort on the part of Chief Justice Roberts to be nonpartisan in this. So he names judges and justices who are thought of as liberals as well as conservatives. And the picture that emerges is of one big happy family of Federal judges and justices all doing their darndest to do justice and in their spare time to teach the American people about how the justice system works.
0: The chief praised the quote, current chief judge of the District of Columbia Circuit for his work tutoring at a local elementary school. That chief judge is Merrick Garland, whose nomination to the Supreme Court was famously held up by Mitch McConnell. Do you read anything in that?
2: Oh, sure. That didn't escape anybody's notice. I mean, it is curious that he didn't mention Judge Garland by name, but he didn't mention any of the lower federal court judges by name, as far as I could tell. He did name-check one of his current colleagues, Justice Sotomayor. But it clearly, I think, was meant to send a signal that whatever political disagreements or rancor exists about the federal judiciary in our elected institutions, meaning the presidency and the Senate here, doesn't affect the judges and justices. To borrow a metaphor that Justice Thomas used when he was a nominee to the Supreme Court, one gets the sense that Chief Justice Roberts thinks that the judges and justices, quote, stripped down like a runner, Meaning they take off their prior political clothing, whatever it was, to become sort of neutral arbiters of the law. And that's consistent with the Chief Justice's own confirmation testimony, in which he said that the job of a judge is not to play the game, but it's like an umpire, simply calling balls and strikes. And so I think the praise for Judge Garland is of a piece with the agenda of Chief Justice Roberts to try to portray an image of the federal courts and the Supreme Court as apolitical.
0: Do you see echoes of his statement that he made in response to a statement by President Trump where he said there are no Obama judges, Bush judges, or Clinton judges?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I have a—one of the things I— do in my spare time is I write a column for Verdict, which is an online magazine of legal commentary. And my column coming out on Wednesday of this week is titled, Is John Roberts a Closet Never Trumper? (laughs) Uh, Because I think that that's clearly right. I think that he sees this president as viewing the courts through an inappropriately political lens, and this is part of his pushback against that.
0: The line that stood out to me is, quote, in our age when social media can instantly spread rumor and false information on a grand scale, the public's need to understand our government and the protections it provides is ever more vital. Is that also a... Yep,
2: that's another another line I quote in my column, right? I mean, the On a grand scale, any tweet can go viral. You or I can, you know, tweet something out, and if it has an appropriately funny cat video attached or whatever, then we'll get thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of likes and retweets. But the president has a much bigger bullhorn on Twitter. And so I think that's exactly what the Chief Justice is referring to by a grand scale. Now, it has a patina of plausible deniability about it. It could just be about, you know, misinformation by anybody. But it's hard to read that as uh, not containing a veiled reference to President Trump.
3: Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large size companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
0: I've been talking to Professor Michael Dorf of Cornell Law School about Chief Justice John Roberts, who's become the nation's champion of judicial independence. Have we seen that judicial independence in his work as chief justice?
2: So I want to give a qualified yes as an answer to that question. There's, in my view, a lot of people who look to some of the output of the Roberts Court see in him a kind of political actor in two ways. One is that, of course, he is a fairly conservative Justice. He's the least conservative of the current Republican appointees, but he is still conservative by recent historical standards. And second, they sometimes, I think, portray him as voting in ways that are meant to enhance the court's prestige and legitimacy rather than according to the law. So you saw a lot of that after the 2012 decision upholding Obamacare, people thought that Roberts had switched sides because he thought it would, it would look bad for the court to be striking down a Democratic administration's signature plan. I happen to disagree with that. I think that Chief Justice Roberts, like virtually every judge in justice, tries to do justice even-handedly. But I want to qualify that by saying that the law contains numerous ambiguities and gaps. And so it's inevitable that when a person acting in good faith tries to clarify the ambiguities and fill those gaps, his or her priors—that that is to say, the commitments that they have on important issues like uh, abortion or affirmative action or the death penalty or gay rights, or whatever it is, that those priors will affect how they fill the gaps. And so I think that the chief justice is small p political in the same way that all judges and justices are, and that when he tries to portray the courts as just following the law, The real problem there is not that the justices are secretly pushing a political agenda. The problem is that he doesn't recognize how much politics is sort of necessarily baked into the law part.
0: It seems ironic that he's going to have to preside over one of the most political events of the year, if not the decade, the impeachment trial.
2: Ironic, perhaps, but it's, you know, it's the constitutional design. And the truth is that the presiding Chief Justice doesn't do very much. Those of your listeners who are old enough to recall the Clinton impeachment will remember that Chief Justice Rehnquist made the most news for the stripes he put on his robe yes. when he sat as the presiding Justice. The only job of the presiding officer is to rule on objections. But of course, he can be overruled by a simple majority. And so John Roberts is there in a kind of ceremonial role.
0: Turning to the Supreme Court's term, this term includes cases on LGBTQ rights, abortion, gun rights. Is this the most challenging term that Roberts has had to face? Or do you see others that were perhaps as challenging?
2: You know, it's hard to know. I I think it's certainly one of the most challenging. I do think that the 2011-2012 to term was quite tough for him, given the stakes of the Affordable Care Act case, which, by the way, could be coming back to the Supreme Court relatively soon. It might not make it this term yet. But, you know, sometimes the court finds ways of ducking hard questions. And so we'll see, right? So in the gun rights case you mentioned, It's very easy for the court to dismiss the case as moot, should it choose to. In the abortion case, it's a little bit harder, but I think that they're unlikely to officially overrule Roe v. Wade or Planned Parenthood against Casey or Whole Woman's Health, which are the cases that follow on it. So there are ways that the court can de-escalate if it so chooses.
0: Finally, the question has been raised over and over about whether the Supreme Court has become too political. And you wrote an article a few months ago that explains how the Supreme Court has always been political. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: So, again, I want to refer back to what I said earlier. There are two senses we can use of political. One is sort of partisan political, and I think the Supreme Court has from time to time been a little bit partisan political. You know, the Bush v. Gore case is a, an example where I think the critics of the court are right. But for the most part, what we mean when we say the court is political is that the justices weigh in on questions that are politically contentious but that's been going on basically since the very beginning of the country. You can look at key episodes during the chief justiceship of John Marshall when there were serious threats that he would be impeached if he ruled too strongly against the Jefferson administration. Chief Justice Taney's decision in the Dred Scott case arguably precipitated the civil war during the first third to beginning of the second third of the 20th century, the court was striking down progressive legislation and FDR tried to pack the courts. You know, there were signs calling for the impeachment of Earl Warren throughout the South in the 1950s and 1960s during the civil rights era. So political controversy is nothing new for the Supreme Court. What I think is a little bit unusual in our current circumstances is that the five most conservative justices are all Republican appointees, and the four most liberal justices are all Democratic appointees so that the ideological divisions on the Supreme Court very closely track or exactly track the partisan differences that can be attributed to them. That wasn't always true. So the leaders of the Supreme Court during the civil rights era were Earl Warren and William Brennan, both of whom were Republican appointees. And up until the retirements of justices, Stevens and Souter you had fairly liberal republican appointees on the Supreme Court so this tracking of the partisan alignment with the sort of judicial ideological alignment is relatively new although it's something we've had in the past if you go way back in in US history having said that I don't think that the cause is the Supreme Court I think the cause is greater polarization in the Congress, especially in the Senate, so that it's now very, very difficult to get justices appointed essentially by consensus. You know, as recently as Justices Ginsburg and Scalia to choose a Democrat and a Republican, there was virtual unanimity in the Senate to confirm them. You're not going to see that anymore. And so what's happening, I think, is that the polarization we see in politics is being reproduced on the Supreme Court.
0: Thanks Mike. That's Michael Dorf of Cornell Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on bloomberg.com/podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg